There will never come a time in your life where you truly, if you're waiting on this, there will never come a time where you truly sincerely feel like, okay, now I'm cleaned up enough. Now I've got myself ready and clean and pure and holy and ready to approach God. You'll never feel that way because you're a sinner, guilty of sin. And there has to be this sense of desperation like this woman had that it doesn't matter. I know that I'm dirty. I know that I'm unclean. I know that I'm a sinner, but I am in such desperate need. I've got to get to the king and I've just got to beg for mercy. I've just got to beg for forgiveness. I've just got to beg for healing. I've just got to beg that the king would be merciful and show me favor. When God set out to establish Solomon's kingdom as the wisest kingdom on earth, he did so by bringing two prostitutes before the king who needed a dispute settled. One of them had stolen the other's baby, and the mother whose baby had been stolen, well, she was in desperate need of the king's help to get her baby back. In many ways, we are all like this second prostitute. Now, maybe we have not found ourselves in the depths of the sin that this woman did, but we all stand before God guilty of sin, paying the costs, afraid of what is ahead, and in desperate need of help. And like her, we too can find deliverance from the king. Listen in today's message as Pastor Joplin preaches Two Harlots, One Baby, and the King. The record that we have here, 1 Kings chapter 3, is what happened immediately after Solomon had prayed for wisdom. Solomon was the third true king of Israel. We had Saul and then David and then Solomon. And when the kingdom was passed to Solomon, you will find in this same chapter in the first 15 verses, God appears to Solomon in a dream. And in that dream, God says to Solomon, ask what you want and I'll give it to you. What would you ask for if God gave you one chance to ask for anything? Well, what Solomon asked for was wisdom. He didn't ask for the annihilation of his enemies. He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for power. He didn't ask for influence. He asked for wisdom. And and really specifically, he said, give me a heart of wisdom. Man, what a thing to ask of God to give me a certain heart. Change who I am inside of here. He didn't ask for things, stuff, action outside of him, but for transformation in his heart and specifically that his heart would be a heart of wisdom. When you read it, in essence, what Solomon said was, God, your people are too vast for me to have any comprehension. How do I lead these people? None of us will ever know what it is like to have that weight on our shoulders that Solomon had, but I will tell you this. All of us, to a degree, need the wisdom of God to lead our homes, to lead our lives, to lead our families. So he prayed for wisdom, and God said, Solomon, I'm going to give you wisdom. And because you asked for this thing, I'm also going to give you what you didn't ask for. I am going to bless you with wealth. I am going to bless you with uh, influence, and your kingdom will be established. But God was pleased with Solomon that Solomon asked for wisdom. And to establish this wisdom of Solomon, not only in answer to Solomon's prayer, but in the eyes of all of Israel, 
God brings this thing to pass that we just read about. Now, you need to understand something about the scriptures that truly will be life transforming when you learn to see the scriptures this way. God does not give us his word to teach us about Solomon. He doesn't record for us the events of Solomon's life just so that we can understand the events of Solomon's life. He doesn't record for us the events of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and and, and Esther and the apostles so that we would understand who these people are. He records them for us so we will know who he is. They are meant to teach us something about God And they are meant to teach us something about ourselves and our relationship with God. And when we come to our text this morning, we see a woman who is in absolute desperate need of somebody to rescue her. Of somebody with power to deliver her from a situation that she is in. We have two prostitutes, pregnant. They do not know who the father is, or at least the father is not present here. Both children are already in for a bad future. One of them dies. One of the prostitutes is desperate for someone to help her. She needs someone to care for her need. She needs someone with power to deliver her. And in many ways, we all find ourselves in this story. Maybe not as bad, you might say. But we stand before God, guilty of sin, paying the cost, afraid of what lies ahead, desperately in need of help. And what I want us to see in the text this morning is the way of deliverance. The way of deliverance. There are three actions that we will see in the text that every person must take if they are to find deliverance. In my 21 years of doing what I do as a pastor, as a preacher, I have seen multitudes of people who sincerely wanted deliverance who never got it. People who honestly wanted to be free, honestly that they would look at, uh, you know, maybe my life or someone else and, and, and see somebody that found freedom in God and they truly long for it, but they haven't received it. Still tied up, still bound up, still in great need, still looking for freedom, still looking for hope, still looking for joy. And I want to explain why this morning. We will see in our text three actions every person must take if they are to find deliverance. Number one this morning, there is a problem we must face. This lady's problem started a long time before this day. The problem was not that her son had been taken from her. That was a symptom of the problem. This woman's problem started a very long time ago that led her to this place. But now she was finally in a place 
where things had spiraled so far out of control, she was helpless and hopeless and needed somebody else to help her out of the mess that she was in. She had to square with her problem. The real problem that we all face, brothers and sisters, it is sin within our own hearts that leads us down the, long ro- the, the wrong roads. This problem in her life, it had grown out of control. Life was never meant to get this bad. Her own child is in someone else's hands, and there's no one to help her. You know, the real problem was sin. And the reality is that sin takes us places we never anticipated it going. My sins took me down a different road than that of this prostitute. But I can relate to the reality of of waking up one day and wondering, how did it get this bad? It wasn't meant to get this bad. I have somewhat of an embarrassing uh, testimony. To me, it is anyways. It's Uh, I have a shameful period of my life that I don't like to talk about much. But as I was thinking about this woman who woke up that morning wondering how she got in that place, how in the world her life spiraled out of control, I remember feeling that way. For me, I was a senior in high school. I had overdosed on drugs early that morning at school And I woke up in the nurse's office sometime later with no consciousness of how I got there. And one of the specific things I remember waking up, I remember waking up and the nurse at that time was the wife of my baseball coach as a young boy. And I wasn't a baseball phenom, but I was good at baseball. I played on the all-star team. We traveled and um, I could play just about any position they needed me to play, whether it was outfield or infield or catcher or pitcher, and I could hit. I was, I was good at what I did. And I remember waking up, and there she was, and it was, it, was a, it was a surreal moment, like where I was thinking to myself, how did I go from that when I used to play ball for her husband to waking up in my high school on the nurse's table from a drug overdose. And here's one thing I can tell you, guarantee it. Whenever I first started toying around with that stuff, never in my wildest dreams would I have planned of ending up where I did. That wasn't the goal. I can tell you that this prostitute here, never in her wildest dreams, when she started going down that wrong road and that wrong path, did she think, one of these days, I'm going to wake up a prostitute with a baby that's been stolen from me and helpless to get it back. Brothers and sisters, if we're ever going to find deliverance, there is a problem that we have to face. And you know one of the reasons that that particular time of my life I, found, I used to tell the story a lot when I first got saved, and I quit telling it for two reasons. Number one, I'm ashamed of it. And number two, really three reasons. Number two, sometimes people will glorify it. And number three, sometimes people feel sorry for me. Like, oh, poor little Joplin. He was just raised in such a bad situation. And... Allowed to do things that teenager boys never should have been allowed to do. And it began to frustrate me because you know why? I'll tell you something. My mom and dad loved me. 
I guarantee if they could go back and do some things over, they would. But my mom and dad never strapped me down to a board and shoved drugs down my throat. You want to know why I made the decisions that I made? Because I am a sinner. That's why. You want to know why I went down the path that I went? Because deep inside here, I was a wicked sinner who did not care about the laws of God, who did not care what God had to say, who wanted to do what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, how I wanted to do it. Nobody ruined my life but Joplin Emerson. Not my mom, not my dad, not somebody that changed my diaper wrong when I was two, not experiences that happened to me. There was no excuse for my behavior other than Joplin Emerson was a sinner. Brothers and sisters, if you're ever going to find deliverance, if anybody's ever truly going to find deliverance, they must face the reality that the real problem they have is their own sin. It's not my husband, it's not my wife, it's not my mom or my dad or my children or my experiences or my upbringing. The problem is me. I won't serve God. I am a sinner. That's the problem. And I'm telling you, you will never truly find deliverance. A person will never truly find deliverance until they square with that problem. You see, you'll never actually go to the king if you underestimate and downplay the severity of your sin problem. You'll never get there. You'll never find a reason to really go if you don't face the reality you have a sin problem. Number two, there is a plea that we must make. You know, it's not enough to simply acknowledge or come to the realization that I've got a problem that needs fixed. There is a plea that we have to make. She gets herself and her child, and I want you to note, she gets to the king. This is so important. You have to get to the king. It's not enough to hang out in the courtyard. It's not enough to rub elbows with the king's men. It's not enough to say that your daddy's friends with the king. It's not enough to be in a Christian home. It's not enough to be in a Christian church. You, my friend, you must get to the king. You personally, you've got to get to him. And she gets to the king and there is a plea that has to be made. Notice first and foremost, it's a plea for mercy. It's a plea for mercy, for forgiveness, for, for favor. It's this realization, this is a prostitute at the foot of the king. What does she have to offer? Absolutely nothing. I mean, this is a place of complete humiliation. I have nothing to offer. I am just begging for help. And I'm telling you something, brothers and sisters, for all of us, if we are ever to find the deliverance that the King of Kings offers, we have to recognize there is a plea that has to be made where, God, we recognize we have nothing to give. We just need mercy and forgiveness and grace. And you alone, O King, are the one who has the power to grant it. Her plea was not for the benefit of the king. You know, she had nothing to offer. She was just desperate. She needed help. A lot of people over the years I've seen resist coming to the king because they don't understand that they will never ever be in a place where they feel worthy to come. 
I mean, if you've ever truly tried to, to reach somebody that you love and, and bring them to, to Christ, surely at some point in time, you've all heard in one way or another the same uh, um, line of thinking that, look, I need to change this first. I, I, you know, I know what I need to do, but I need to change this first. And I want to fix this in my life, and I'm just, I'm not ready yet. And what people are really communicating is they recognize who God is, they recognize that God is holy, and they're just not quite ready yet, they're not prepared yet to approach God and to change their life yet. The problem with that line of thinking is that the devil will hold you captive all of your life if you embrace it. Because I don't care who you are, you'll never actually feel like you're finally worthy to reach God and approach God, ever. That's just a ploy of the devil to keep you away. There will never come a time in your life where you truly, if you're waiting on this, there will never come a time where you truly, sincerely feel like, okay, now I'm cleaned up enough. Now I've got myself ready and clean and pure and holy and ready to approach God. You'll never feel that way because you're a sinner, guilty of sin, And there has to be this sense of desperation like this woman had that it doesn't matter. I know that I'm dirty. I know that I'm unclean. I know that I'm a sinner, but I am in such desperate need. I've got to get to the king and I've just got to beg for mercy. I've just got to beg for forgiveness. I've just got to beg for healing. I've just got to beg that the king would be merciful and show me favor. There is a plea that we have to make. And you've got to get to the king. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. There's only one king. And I'll say it again. You have got to get to him. You can't just rub elbows with the right people. You've got to go to him. Number three this morning, there is a pardon that we must receive. You know, in a lot of ways, this mother was guilty and undeserving of any favor from the king. I'm not trying to be, uh, um, what's the word looking for, unsympathetic. But she didn't deserve grace, so she got herself right where she was at. She didn't deserve any favor. She didn't deserve mercy. And in order for her child to be saved, she personally needed the king to listen to her. She needed the king to show her favor, not just her baby favor, her favor. In fact, in the moment of when it was all happening, she was ready to step out and give away her favor, right? And she was to say, just let, the, let my baby go with her. Don't kill the child. The king had something else in store than just showing the child favor. He was going to pardon and show favor to this mother. In other words, everything, the guilt that she had, the uh, payment of her sins, all of it, she was about to be pardoned for it. And when I look at this, I'm reminded of of that moment in my life 
when the king chooses to say nothing at all about her past. God had this wise plan in place. Man, his ways are higher than our ways. We would never come up with this stuff. You look at the ways that God delivers us. You look at the paths that God leads us through. You look at the ways that God's tracked each of us individually down that are truly saved here this morning. God's ways are higher than our ways. He works in ways we would never, ever, ever, ever dream up or, you know, write in our own, if we were writing our own story. And when this woman is brought before the king, I want you to note something about the king's pardon. The king doesn't take any time at all He doesn't take two minutes. He doesn't take 10 minutes to say, hold on, I've got a solution to this, but we need to deal with something here, sis. We need to talk about your past. We need to talk about everything that got you to this point. I will never forget that moment in my life when uh, God opened my eyes. And I was in a church service, and uh, all I can tell you is supernaturally God opened my eyes, and it was like I saw that God was real. I knew that God was real. I heard God speak in that still, small voice that Pastor Jason spoke about last week. I heard that in my own heart. For the first time in my life, 20 years old, I heard the voice of God, like inside of my heart, speak to me. I knew that God was real. And the, the very first thing that I experienced was terror. Um, I, I was so afraid, like, whoa, God is real. There was a part of me that was angry that for 20 years of my life, I didn't think God existed, and yet he did. And I was a little angry that I'd been deceived for 20 years because I had lived based upon what I had believed. And now all of a sudden, I found myself guilty before God. God was real. I was an evil, wicked sinner. This was really bad news for me. And I thought this thought, God, why wouldn't you just let me die? Like, why, why, why would you reveal yourself to me? I'm a horrible person. Why wouldn't you just let someone like me go to the hell I deserve to go to? And I did not hear the voice of God, but I knew the answer to that was this simple truth because God loved me. And I believe in my heart, that's actually the moment I got saved. I prayed a few minutes later, confessed my sins a few minutes later, but in that moment is when I went from like, God is good. I know by faith he's good. I know that he's true. I know that he's God. And I was overwhelmed with the fact that he loved me and I wanted to please him from that moment forward and sitting right there in my chair. I think personally, that's the second that Joplin Emerson got saved. But you know what happened at that moment when I knew that God loved me? I just began to weep. I mean, I just began to cry. And I'm not going to waste your time or God's time mentioning a single garbage thing that I did leading up to that moment. But what fascinates me to this day is that God chose not to mention a single one of them. I mean, it was just like done. It's gone. Cast away as far as the east is from the west. You know, that's what the Bible says God does with our sins when he pardons us. It was several years after I was saved before I really even wrapped my mind around what that statement means. It just sounded poetic to me. 
And then we started going to Haiti as part of uh, one of our very first international missions. And I bought a globe. And I used to have a globe on my desk. And as I studied that globe, you want to know a fascinating thing that I noticed? Any direction, any direction, whether you're going north or south or northeast or southwest or whatever, any direction that you're going, eventually you start going the other way. You go north long enough on a globe, guess what? You start going south. And if you just keep on going, eventually you start going north. You go northeast, you'll eventually be going southwest. There's only one direction and one direction only that if you're going perfectly east or west, you never start going the other direction. And it fascinated me at a God who has been communicating to his people from the beginning of time that when he does something, he does it perfectly. He does it completely. Elsewhere, it says that he takes our sins and he casts them into the sea of forgetfulness. You know, the Bible commands you and I as believers, it commands us to forgive others. Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, then you can't be forgiven. But you and I are never commanded to forget. Now, here's the reason why we're not commanded. It's real simple. It's not because God wants us to hold on to grudges, but here's the reality. Here's why we're not commanded to forget things. We can't. God designed the brain to remember things. We're actually designed that way. And so you can forgive somebody of something, and I mean truly forgive. You can forgive somebody of something that you still have a memory of. But the Bible teaches us that God's forgiveness, that he takes our sins and casts them into the sea of forgetfulness. That like the way that God deals with us is on an entirely different level than we're capable of dealing with each other. And that when God takes our sins and deals with them and casts them away, casts them in the sea of forgetfulness, he chooses to remember them no more. He forgets them. And in, in the sight and in the eyes of God, it is as if they have never happened. There is a pardon that we must receive this morning, brothers and sisters. And you know what a pardon is? A pardon is not the... It's not the ignorant declaration that somebody never did anything wrong. A pardon simply says, I have the power to release you of your punishment. That's what it is. And there is nobody that has the power to release us of the punishment for our wrongs and our sins other than the king. This is why you've got to get to the king. And there is a pardon that you must receive. Amen. Grace sets us free. When I read this story, there's so much that I wish that we knew more of. Like, I would like to know her story from there. All that we know is, is that it started anew this day. She got her baby back. I see that when the king showed her favor and mercy and grace, it changed the home. It didn't just change her life, it changed her baby's life. No work to earn the right to be the mother again. She didn't have to prove herself in a moment of time. When the king gave favor, 
her life was forever changed. This morning, I'm going to ask our worship team, if you guys would get a place, I want to finish with going back to what I said at the beginning of this message that throughout the years, I've seen so many that need deliverance, want deliverance, that yet don't get it. These are three actions that we absolutely must take if we're going to find deliverance. There is one thing and only one. There is one thing that keeps us from taking these actions. Pride. Think about the first thing. There's a problem that we have to face. You'll find that pride will keep you from wanting to acknowledge, this is my fault. We want to blame our circumstances, our situation, our, ultimately our actions. We want to blame them on everything else. Somebody else, something else. This happened to me, so I have to act this way. This, you know, I didn't get this, or I did get that. Or I, you've got to stop it. And you'll find that pride will get in the way and bring you to a place. Pride will keep you from getting to a place where you're willing to be honest about the fact my real problem's me. And then there's a plea to be made. You'll find that pride will keep you from making that plea. Yeah, we'll get to a place where we're willing to maybe acknowledge, okay, so, so, so maybe my actions are my own actions. Maybe nobody did hold a gun to my head and make me say those hurtful, awful things. Maybe nobody did force me to be that way. Maybe this is my choice. Okay, so I own it. But you'll find pride will keep you from getting to the king and making a plea for mercy. And that third one, there's a pardon we have to receive. You'll find pride will keep you from being, first of all, acknowledging you need to be pardoned. You see how pride keeps us from all of this? I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I've seen people that wanted to be delivered, but in their pride, they're still holding on to excuses for their actions, refusing to truly acknowledge who they are. In their pride, they don't want to humble themselves and kneel before the king and ask for help, ask for forgiveness, ask for mercy, ask for favor. And in their pride, we're too proud to want to pardon yeah, we want to add something to it. Yeah, we might acknowledge, we need a little help here, God. But, but, but trust us, I'll make it up. I'll make it up, God. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to start tip scales a little bit. You can't tip the scales. You'll never be able to tip the scales. The Bible says all of our works are basically like filthy rags in the sight of God. They're, they're worthless. They don't work. It's only faith in Jesus. And you'll find there's a certain part of your heart that pride wants to grip. You, want, you don't want to have to be parted. You want something to add. You want something to offer. You want something to bring to the table. We see that in a lot of ways, we're all like this prostitute was. We got nothing to bring to the table nothing to offer God but God we need your favor we need your mercy we need your pardon